Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your pregnancy and motherhood journey. Everything we do is to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Allie Prado. Allie is a Brooklyn-based journalist, mom of two, and host of infertility podcast, Infertile AF. In today's episode, Allie talks about the four years of secondary infertility that she went through to have her second child, Sunny. Allie shares so openly about her emotional state throughout it, the infertility depression she experienced, the impact fertility had on her marriage, and throughout it all, having to be a mom to her daughter. Allie and I share a mission in that we both believe wholeheartedly in creating a space where women can share honestly and openly about their fertility journeys. And this episode will definitely touch many people who may be struggling with similar stories. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, definitely check out Allie on her own podcast, Infertile AF. My name is Allie Prado, and I live in Brooklyn. Um, my husband and I have been married since, God, 1875. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we were high school sweethearts, and we've been married oh, wow. since 2002. Um, but we didn't actually start to try uh, to have kids till later. Um, we, I got married when I was 27, and we lived in Chicago at the time. And we... A lot of our friends, you know, didn't really have, weren't starting to try to have kids at that point either. So we waited for um, a little bit. And then actually the year after we got married, we, I got transferred to New York. So we moved to New York for my job at the time, which was an editor of Playboy magazine. So Playboy's headquarters moved from Chicago to New York. So that's how we ended up here. Um, Oh, so you were originally in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's where I lived most of my life until we moved here in 2003. So um, we basically, so then once we moved to a new city, we didn't really know anybody here. So we kind of had to start from scratch, building our circle of friends and getting our jobs, you know, on track. And he Mm -hmm. needed to find another job. So having kids was the furthest thing from our mind. And then anybody who lives in New York, we live in Brooklyn, (laughs) knows like having a kid here is pretty tricky. Like we didn't have a car. We'd sold our car. Um, so it was just kind of like, we got to figure out this city before we can bring another human into the mix. Yeah. So we basically waited. Um, and then when I was about 34, I was like, okay. And all my friends in Chicago at that point had had kids and multiple, you know, kids. Mm -hmm. So I think if we'd stayed in Chicago, we probably would have started earlier, but that's just to say that I had no idea that at 35, your like egg reserve starts to plummet and like the quality of your eggs starts to plummet, which is just like a scientific fact. Basically Mm -hmm. now that's the age that they give. I had no idea. Nobody had ever said that to me. I'd never learned it in school. I'd never read it in a book. None of my friends were talking about it. So it's so funny. And that's part of what I'm trying to do now is like spread awareness to like the younger generation. That's like, it's a real thing. And think um, about it. Think about it now. Like, make plans for it if you want more completely. kids than one. You know, like it's it. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to start. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I like you was was late late to the thought process too. Yeah, but I didn't feel late because I was still Mm-mm. like God. Like we're still kind of trying to figure out New York. So anyway, thirty four, I believe. Um, we did start to try. It took us a couple months, but I did get pregnant with my daughter fairly easily. She's ten years old now, so um, that was like it was great. I mean. Pregnancy-wise, 
Um, I did have a condition called placenta previa, and she was also breech. So those were a couple of minor complications. But to be honest with you, it didn't really affect my the way that I felt or day to day. All it meant in my circumstance was that I needed to have a scheduled C-section. And Mm -hmm. that was just like, there was no way around that with placenta previa because I remember going into my doctor's office and again, like pretty clueless about like what was going on in my own body. And I said to her, so, okay, placenta previa means your placenta is blocking your cervix. And she said, yeah. And I said, so what would happen in like the olden days before they had C-sections? And I remember she said like really chipper. She's like, oh, both mother and baby would die. And I was like, oh, (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay. So that was one of just one of those moments where it was just like, wow, I don't really know anything about anything. Wait, um, can I back you up for a second? Absolutely, when you got, yeah. It, it took you a few, you said a few months to get pregnant with your first. Yeah. And when you got pregnant, like, did you, did you, like, was your doctor like, hey, do you want to have more than one? Like, what are you thinking? Was like, were, was that conversation ever like on, like put on your radar by your doctor? No, not that okay. I remember. If it was, it was not stressed to the point where I like registered it. Like maybe right, they okay. mentioned it in passing, but there was no point. And, you know, I, I did have wonderful doctors, so not to fault them, but no, no, you no, know, no. yeah, you would think somebody would have said, Hey, you got lucky this time. You just made the cutoff because, <laughs> you know, I was 34. I ended up ha- giving birth when I was 35, but, um, you know, it, it would have been nice if somebody had said, if you want to have another one, you, you know, sooner than later, nobody ever said that to me. And again, yeah. it's like, I need to take the onus on me. Like I should have probably known better and done some research, but it just wasn't part of the cultural conversation at that point. You know, right. you you saw celebrities getting pregnant at 45 and having no problems. I remember Halle Berry was like on the cover of People magazine and they're like, she's pregnant. And it was like, she mm-hmm. never mentioned, I don't know her and I don't know what her story was, but nothing was ever talked about. Like, this isn't biologically really normal. Like, this is an anomaly right. that this could happen, you know? So again, it wasn't really being talked about. Okay. Um. And again, if I'm rambling, like cut me off, you know, ask more questions. (laughs) Sorry. You're good. (laughs) Okay. So um, I had my daughter and I did have a C-section and it went great. And she was healthy and we were happy and all was well. So it wasn't until about um, maybe when she was about two and a half that we started, you know, I'd always wanted more than one kid. Mm -hmm. I'm one of five siblings. I have a really big family. Mm -hmm. Um, my husband is a only child of two only children. So he, oh, wow. okay. yeah. <laughs> so he a was a very small family <laughs> and he loves kids. But, and for him, it was kind of like, yeah, like we're super happy with our daughter. We don't necessarily need to have another one. You know, he, he could have mm-hmm. gone either way. Like he was like, great. If it happens, cool. So, um, we started to try, I think I was about 38 at the, at that point. Okay. And I got pregnant pretty easily. And then I had a miscarriage at about eight weeks. And thank you. It was, you know, I've had friends who had had miscarriages and it was kind of like, oh, it's just part of it. It was, you know, heartbreaking, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think it was going to be some sort of larger issue. Um, So I remember that happened. And then... Um, I, we tried, you know, a couple months later, I didn't have to have a DNC or anything. It just kind of progressed naturally. Um, and then I got pregnant again and then I had another miscarriage almost around the same exact time. 
Oh my God. So then I was like, hmm, this is not good. Because also, you know, you're getting older, time is passing. And you have that thing where you're like, I kind of want my kids to be X amount of years apart, you know, that, that notion Mm -hmm. of like how it's going to be. Um, so I, you know, was a little bit nervous and, you know, it was very sad, but, you know, we kept trying and we didn't have any medical like interventions at this point. And again, like nobody at my OB or, um, or GYN, I guess would, was saying like, you know, you should get this checked out. Like it was just like, okay, keep trying. Cause I was healthy, you know, otherwise. Um, so then I had a third miscarriage and I remember like there was this moment where I called the doctor. It was like the nurse's line, you know, it was like before the Mm -hmm. doctor's office was open in the morning. And there's that whole thing of like, when you've had a couple of losses and then you go to the bathroom and you're like, please don't be blood. Please don't be blood. You're just terrified Mm -hmm. to like wipe and see like red on your toilet Mm -hmm. paper. Um, and there was, and I was like, Oh, your heart just sinks. And I panicked Mm -hmm. and called the nurse's line because it was early in the morning. And I remember you know, they said, what's going on? And I said, you know, I'm really newly pregnant, had a couple of miscarriages and I'm bleeding again. And I remember the woman was like, yeah, you're probably having another miscarriage. So just, you know, you can come in or you can wait for like a week. And like the way she said it was just like, just another day in her life. And I remember it was such a knife to my heart. And I was like, what? Like, you're probably having another miscarriage, like onto the next phone call. Like I felt so brushed off and I felt so like pissed that she Mm -hmm. said it that way because it's anybody who's gone through this knows it's so sad and heartbreaking and scary and you know all those things so um that that happened the third one and then I can't remember when we finally went to the RE I don't think it was until I had my fourth miscarriage that I finally was like we got to go see like a specialist Mm -hmm. so I'd had four over the course of probably two years all in. Okay. Um, wow. So, yeah. so, so then, can I, can I ask a question? Sure. How did this, this like impact you and your husband's relationship? Like it was, what, yeah. It was fine at first. Mm-hmm. And then the more it went on, it started to become really, really hard and very taxing Cause you know, I had started to track my ovulation and, you know, before we even went to an RE, like, I had gotten some app on my phone that, you know, said when I was going to ovulate and anybody who's gone through this knows, then you have that like timed sex Mm -hmm. and it's so not sexy and you can't even really do it sometimes because all the like air is taken out of the room and, you know, like I remember (laughs) times when I would be like, just stick it in, like, you know, Mm -hmm. yelling at him and I'm like crying and sweating and like (laughs) looking at the clock and he's like panicked and you know, it was just, it was awful. And, you know, I've talked about this before, so this isn't like a revelation and Vince knows that like, I'm pretty open about this stuff. So I don't mean to like make it seem like it was anything was his fault, but you know, it's just, no, yeah, it's so hard and it's, there's nothing less sexy than trying to have a baby like on demand. (laughs) Like it's the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, but all joking aside, we were really in a pretty low place relationship wise, Mm -hmm. you know, and not to, not to say like, we also had a daughter who was like, you know, three, four, and we had to like be good parents for her. So we were trying to raise her and I'm kind of trying to keep this secret from her because I didn't want her to know that, you know, this was happening behind the scenes and, 
you know, she was asking me about a sibling and I would like cry quietly, like in the bathroom after she went to bed. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we were in a really dark place and, um, it was also because after the fourth one, he basically was like, you know what? I'm good. You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're good. Like we love ever our daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing about, you know, I've, I've learned since then that it's called secondary infertility, you know, when you don't have problems with your first, but there on out you do. Um, I didn't even know that was a thing at the time. But so the thing about secondary infertility that I think is so tricky is that from the outside, people are like, why can't you just be happy with what you have? Right. You know, or like, they'll say things like, well, at least you have one, you know, and I know people mean well, but those are the kinds of things that you're just like, no, you don't get it. And mm-hmm. and that's what I've tried to articulate. And I don't know if I've ever really captured it exactly the way that I want to, but hopefully people will understand that it's like, it wasn't that I wasn't happy with what I had. It was that I was so happy with what I had. And I mm-hmm. loved being a mom that I wanted to do it again. Like I wasn't done. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it was I like, I was so happy with the situation that like, I just wanted all those experiences again. I wanted to be pregnant again. I wanted to have a newborn again. And you know, all that stuff. And, you know, I, I just couldn't shake it. I, it was like something I just became laser focused on. I didn't feel like I could be completely content or like live with myself if we didn't pull out all the stops and kind of try everything. And, you know, unfortunately, my husband didn't have that same need, you know, like, and mm-hmm. again, it wasn't that he didn't want another kid. It was just like, he didn't want to put our relationship and put me and put himself, frankly, through the like torture that we were about to endure, you right. know, because then it was like once I became laser focused, it was like all the like teas and all the elixirs mm-hmm. and all the acupuncture and therapy and exercise. And I mean, I became like a machine. It was like, you know, I've said before, like if somebody was like, you need to go to the store at three in the morning and drink a gallon of orange juice only on a full moon, you know, every Tuesday, like I would have done like whatever they said, like you you get to that point where you want to try, you'll try anything. Um, I interviewed somebody recently who said she tried reindeer antlers and I was like, yeah, I would have done that too. (laughs) That makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was, that was hard on us. And, you know, I remember saying to him at one point, Cause he was like, this is, you know, this is crazy. I mean, or maybe he didn't use that word, but he was just like, this is so much like, let's just stop. And I said to him, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I wish that I could, you know, I wish I didn't yeah. want this so badly, but I can't not want it. And it was like, it was such a struggle. Cause I knew that it was my fault that we were in a dark place, but I didn't have the, I just couldn't not want it. You know what I mean? No, I do. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's, um, I'm glad that you're articulating this because I remember when I went through, like, because I went through it before I had a child. Yeah. And I always used to think, or at least at the time, I was just like, I wonder what this experience would be like for me if I had a kid. Mm -hmm. And like, and I, and I have ultimately come to that, Either way, it is the worst thing in the world. Like mm-hmm. either way, like whether you have a kid and you're just imagining like what having a second kid and that life is like, or if you don't have anything and you're just imagining what life would be like with a child, like they're just both awful because it's totally consuming. 
Mm-hmm. And and like you don't have what you want and you can't control it. So mm-hmm. it's so, so true. I, you know, it's like when you want to have a baby and you can't have a baby, it is the saddest, hardest thing. It's just mm-hmm. awful. Yes. So um, do you want me to go on with what yes. happened? <laughs> okay. yeah, so, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no, not at all. It's a conversation. So we um, – Okay. So we got to a point where, and I, and I was, I did start going to therapy. I went to like a fertility or like infertility uh, specialist therapist. Did your husband go with you? uh, No, it was just me at the time. And I remember her telling me like, we need to get to get you to a place where you'll be happy if you're just a family of three. And that was kind of her goal because Mm -hmm. she was like, we can't control the outcome. You know, you're going to do what you're going to do. I can't tell you to not do IVF or do do it or whatever, but she, she was like, I just want you to be happy with that as one of the outcomes because if you're happy with that, then you can't really go wrong because right. if it does, if you do, you know, f- go further and it does work, great. And if it doesn't, it, you're okay. And it was like a perspective shift that I needed that really was kind of a turning point where I was like, okay, she's right. I can be, I think I can actually be happy as a family of three, not that that's what I want still, like I still wanted to try, but I just, it was good to know that in the back of my mind, I could always kind of have that. So that was like, it made me feel better. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, Vince and I did finally agree to do IVF. And I think part of it too, for him um, was just, he didn't really know what it was. And I didn't really either, you know, like I was so clueless that I thought it was just like Octomom wanting to have eight babies. Like I didn't realize how common it was and how pervasive it was. And again, you know, this is five, six years ago now. Right. Um, so, but you know, people weren't talking about it as much. So Mm -hmm. we were just like IVF, that's creepy. You know, like, what is that? Right. Um, so anyway, we got to a point where I went into, CNRE, who ended up being my doctor, Dr. Joshua Klein. He's amazing. Um, and he, you know, did the sonogram and stuff. And he looked at me and he's like, well, he's like, you're the perfect candidate for IVF. Um, you know, you've got lots of eggs, like you have a very big egg reserve. Um, you know, the quality, you know, he's like, I can't really tell until we get there, but you know, right. you've got a lot to work with. And he said, you don't have a problem getting pregnant. You just are having a problem staying pregnant. So that's a good thing. You know, if we get the right mixture, then it should work. Mm -hmm. So I walk out of that office like, oh, my God, it's going to work. We're, you know, this is awesome. Um, And I remember coming home and telling my husband because he didn't come to that first meeting with me. um, He was like, yeah, but like, how much does it cost? What are the thing? You know, all valid concerns. But I was kind of like, who cares? How can you put a price tag on a baby? You know, right. like that was my theory. And that was another point, like a bone of contention that we had where he's very like conscientious about money. And I'm more of a, of course I care about it, but it's like some things I feel like you can't quantify. Like I just felt like I would pay $4 million to have a baby. I don't care. Right. I don't have that right. money. I'll figure it out, you know? Right, right, right. I'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> So um, anyway, he actually went in and met with the doctor after that. So he's like, let me talk to this guy and like see what's, what's going on. So he went in and had a meeting. And finally, um, we did get to a point where he's like, okay, let's do one round. My husband said that. And I was okay. like, okay. And then we agreed. We're like, but after that, we're done. And I was like, I can live with that. 
that's a compromise I could make. If it wasn't, if it was just me on my own, I might've, and it didn't work the first time. I don't know what, you know, I might've continued to try, but with him in the interest of keeping my marriage strong and together, I was like, okay. So we had like an end goal, which felt good because I think a lot of times with infertility is like, you just feel so out of control Mm -hmm. and so much of it is up in the air. So to have a plan in place was like, felt good, you know, like it was like, we can do this. So, um, I, you know, we decided to do one round and I started in 2015, like the beginning of the year, my daughter was now five going on six and, um, you know, I did, I did like got all the drugs and started the protocol. Um, and if you want to get into like the details of like all the other stuff I did too, like, I'm happy to talk about that. I don't know how deep you want to go, but, um, I, yes, I do, but I'll, we can go back. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt this flow. Oh, that's okay. Um, anyway, so the one, we had another huge hiccup where I remember I, you know, this was, first of all, this was all out of pocket for us. Nothing was covered by my insurance or our insurance. Um, and we ended up actually having to borrow money from both my parents and Vince's parents. They are not even borrowed. They gave it to us, which was Mm -hmm. so amazing But to cover this because, you know, it's tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember we ordered the first like huge batch of drugs and I think it was like $4,500 just out of pocket, you know, the mm-hmm. first shipment and it fucking got lost in the mail <gasps> and I was supposed to get it like on, you know, X morning and I remember coming down and I got some email that was like, your drugs have been delivered and I was like, yes. And I go outside and they're not there. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like looking all over. I'm running to the neighbors because we live in a condo building. So we have like, you know, I went all up and down right. in my building. I went to like the other buildings nearby. I was like panicking, like running up and down the street. Um, couldn't find them. So I remember calling the company and they're like, yeah, they delivered them. And I was like, well, I don't have them. And what do I do? And I need to start them tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, I don't, you know, maybe just order them again. And I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> like, oh my God. A, I don't have the money to order them again. And B, like, this is a timed thing. You know, if I order right. them now, I won't get them on time and all that nonsense. So that was a really crazy day. And I remember we were supposed to go to our friend's husband's birthday party. And I was like, kind of there, but not there mentally at all. And everyone was like, what's going on? And I couldn't really say. And I was just like, kept looking at my phone to see if I'd gotten like an email or an update. And um, it was awful. So it wasn't until the very next morning at like 6am. And I was just like, I I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, I guess we're gonna have to wait. We're, you know, we mm-hmm. can't start. So 6am, um, I got our buzzer went off. And it was my neighbor from down the street. Like not even like a few doors down. Like it was like pretty far. Right. And he was like, I got a package for you yesterday. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. And I was like, I'll be right down. And I came down and it was the drugs. And so they had just delivered them to the wrong house. And I was like, oh I, And I love that they're like, just order it again. You're like, oh. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that was a fun beginning. Um, but anyway, so we did, you know, we started, I started doing the injections and that was fine. Like I didn't really have a problem with doing the shots or anything. It was all like the greater good. Mm -hmm. I was like, this hurts and this sucks, but you know, it's a short period of time. Right. Um, but 
it was going pretty well. Like, you know, you go in for monitoring and things were progressing as they should have been. And um, then I remember I went in and um, they were like, okay, we're going to do the retrieval on, um, I think it was April 1st. And it was, I don't, I think it was April. Oh no, that was the transfer. Sorry. It doesn't matter. It was March something. We were doing the retrieval and um, they were like, everything's looking good, looking good. So I was like, okay, well maybe this is going to work. So we're feeling pretty confident about it. And then um, when I finally went in for the retrieval, I ended up having 29 eggs. Um, And I remember, (laughs) this is so funny, but like you get kind of competitive, like, or I did at least, (laughs) like, I remember being in the waiting room and they, you know, you wake up and you're like, what happened? And the nurse was like, so it was great. We got, you know, we retrieved 29 eggs. And I remember (laughs) feeling like super smug about it. And then I remember they went into the woman next to me and I couldn't see her, like the curtain was drawn, but you could hear Mm-hmm. And they were like, so we got nine eggs. And I was like, like, I I mean, like, I was like sucks. which is so terrible. But I'm just being yeah. honest. That was my thought. Like I was like, felt like very proud. Not that it has anything to do with anything, but. No, but um, yeah, I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so 29. And then I think the next day that had dropped in half. It might have, it was either 26 or 29. And it's pretty bad that I don't remember this because I've told the story a lot, but I can't remember. Um, so it dropped down to 13 the next day. And then as the week went on, you know, they have to wait and see what becomes an embryo. And on day five, it's a blastocyst. Mm -hmm. Um, so by day five, um, I had five, um, blasts that were going to go out for PGD testing. Okay. So we did do, we opted for the, you know, the additional $5,000 to test mm-hmm. the embryos because in my case, at least it was like, they had determined Super that important. it was all chromosomal abnormalities that were causing me to have miscarriages. Right. Um, so we had the five tested and I remember we got the call that, and I didn't want to see the genders of any of them. So I had the doctor like call me and I didn't want the email with like all the stats and Mm -hmm, stuff, but mm -hmm. they called me back and they're like, well, four of them were not, you know, viable. They're not healthy. And one of them is like perfect. So I was like, okay. And they're like, so we're going to do a frozen embryo transfer because they wanted my body to like calm back down after all the stims and stuff. Did you have um, ovarian hyperstimulation? No, I didn't. Okay. I was, um, with all those eggs, I was like, oh, I, I wonder if that's where that's going. <laughs> but I know you never told me I did. And I wasn't in like a lot of pain or anything. So okay. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I think you'd know. <laughs> yeah. I think apparently I would Apparently a pretty big nightmare. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so we had the one embryo and that was great. Um, and I remember my doctor at that point telling, he was a very like statistical guy, which I really had like appreciated because, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said before, you can't control anything, but at least wrapping your head around some numbers kind of helps you get through these various steps and like hurdles. So I think he said at that point with one healthy embryo, I think I had like a 60% chance that it it was going to be okay. And that when we did the transfer, that it was probably going to work. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's on the right side of a 50, 50 bet. Like, right. Right. So I felt okay about it. Um, so yes. And then on April 1st, I had the transfer and I remember cause it was my mother-in-law's birthday and then we were going to Florida. Like we had just had a trip planned for my daughter's time with my daughter's spring break at school. So 
we went to Florida right after the transfer, which was great because that was a nice way to have like a big chunk of the two week wait Mm -hmm. because we were like on vacation and I was just like hanging out at the pool and relaxing. And um, I wasn't like a tester. Like I didn't want to do an early test. Like they were like come in on, you know, the, the, what was it? The 11th, I think. 10 days and Ten days, we'll yeah. do your test then. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to even, you know, obviously I'm going to hope and pray and wish that it works, but I'm not going to get a home test and like get my hopes up or down. You know, I was just like, right. I'm going to do what they, I've done it to the, to a T to this point. So I'm not going to like go off course at the, anymore. So mm-hmm. um, I remember we were in Florida. Oh, and one other thing that I want to mention was that I don't know if this happens to you in life, but like I was always looking for signs like from above that like things were going to like work out or not. Like I became like very superstitious and just kind of like always looking for something, some kind of sign. Does that make sense? Like it does. It does. Are, are you, are you like that at all? I am. I am. <laughs> and okay. everything means something and something. Yes. yes. Totally. So I had started hearing all every time I went to the doctor, I've started hearing the song Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. Mm. Um, and then I would hear it like everywhere. Like once it, it was always on in the waiting room at the doctor, like throughout the whole IVF process. Then I would hear it like in the elevator or like at the grocery store or like I would be in soul cycle and it would come like my teacher would play it, like not knowing that it was like a thing for mm-hmm. me. Um, so that became kind of my song and it was very, um, kind of became kind of poignant because it was like you know, some of the lyrics, like I'm sure like Paul McCartney never met, intended this, but there's a part about like, you know, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. And then it was like, it's been years since the sun was here. And it was just like, it, I felt so connected to the lyrics because I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it has been years since I truly felt happy. Um, and then there's a part about the ice melting. So I was like, frozen embryo, like this, <laughs> you know, that it means that's, it's me. It's, it's totally my song. So we were in Florida and I remember I went up to the bar to get um, like a juice or something and here comes the sun came on. And it was like the day before we were going back from vacation. And I was like, Oh my God, I think this is going to work. It just like felt so good. So um, we got back from Florida. I went to the doctor the next day, had a blood test. And I remember the woman saying, the nurse was like, okay, now go home and take a nap and we'll call you in like four hours. And I was, I remember being like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, take a nap? <laughs> like, how am I going to take a nap right now? So, um, and sorry if I shouldn't be no, swearing. No, no, no. Okay. So, um, but that was literally what I thought. I was like, yeah, sure, lady. So mm-hmm. I come home, didn't nap. And then they called me that afternoon. And I was, I mean, it's just like one of those phone calls that you are, terrified. And my mm-hmm. heart right now, even thinking about it is racing a little bit because I remember mm-hmm. that the nerves and it was just like, this is it. Like our life is going to go this way or it's going right. to go that way based on this phone call. And I answered the phone and I remember it was the nurse and she was like, congratulations, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And I just like tears like shot out of my eyes, like horizontally, like, I, and I jaw like mm-hmm. hit the floor and <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And I remember she goes, okay, well, we're going to release you now. So call us when you deliver. And I was oh like, what? wow. Like, 
<laughs> okay, I guess this is happening. But it was like, like she felt so interesting because because my RE you stay uh, you stayed with until I think it was eight weeks, and then they and then they move you on. Yeah, but an abrupt and close. It's, it's a good point because I feel like I did go in before that, but she did say those words like she was like, "Call us when you deliver." So. Um, I don't know. It was, it was very crazy. And I remember just being like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Um, and so, yeah, it, I was pregnant and thankfully it went fine. I didn't have any complications. Um, we did find out after 12 weeks, you know, once we had heard the heartbeat and all that, I did have my doctor email me what the gender was so that my husband and I could find out at the same time. And we found out it was a boy. And, um, we did look back at the, the, you know, embryology results and see that like the other four were girls and this was the only way. And the other four all had chromosomal abnormalities. So like, I think one had trisomy 16, one or two of them did one had trisomy 13. So these are all, you know, they say it's like incompatible with life. Basically, Mm -hmm. you know, you might, you might end up giving birth, but they won't live long or they don't make it that far. So, um, but he was, you know, had 46 chromosomes and was healthy and, um, yeah. So the pregnancy was good. He was breech again, like my daughter. Um, so I ended up having another scheduled C-section, but then he was born on December 11th, 2015. And we named him Sonny. Oh, so. oh my God, I love that. I had tears when you told me that oh. you're positive pregnancy and then with the part about the positive blood test and that's just, uh, even the name is so. Yeah, um, so here comes the sun, Sunny. Yeah. Um, and now he sings that song all the time in the bathtub and every time he sings it, I start welling up. It's so cute. Yeah. Um, um, so he's four. He's five, just turned five. four in December. Yeah, my daughter is 10 now, okay. so. Um, yeah, but, um, the, I guess the second part of my story is that, you know, I'm a journalist and a writer and, um, you know, now what I'm doing is now that I'm on the other side of all this infertility stuff, um, I started a podcast last year, um, called infertile AF, where every episode I interview a different person about, you know, their journey to have babies and, um, it started out with the first episode is me telling my story. Um, and then every episode thereafter, I talked to either a woman, mostly women, but I also talked to some men. But my my kind of rule is that everybody I talk to has to have gone through either infertility, like the traditional sense of the word, or having babies in like a non-traditional way. So like same-sex mm-hmm. couples that, you know, use a surrogate or a sperm donor um, or, you know, single mothers by choice, or, you know, I've, I've talked to women who've had to do, um, termination for medical reasons or had stillborns or, you know, so it's kind of every episode is someone's story about trying to have babies and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So it's just, you know, trying to normalize this, what people go through, trying to just talk about everything so that if anybody out there is going through it or anything in any of the episodes, you know, they can find something to relate to. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm focusing on now is the podcast and, you know, just trying to connect people and make people feel like they're not alone. Yeah. No, it's, I I love that. I think it's, um, 
one of those things that when you're going through it, it's just like you need to find the community. Otherwise, like you just can wallow in your own sadness. Totally. And, and it's and it, and it's like totally legitimate, right? Like it's this is like the why me is like at its worst. And so mm-hmm. I, I would have loved to have I feel like you know like I I was going through it a, a little like a year after you. I mean, I my our 2014 was when I started my mm-hmm. journey and then resulted in a kid in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um but like I feel like even then people it just like wasn't talked about and I like couldn't find the resources I needed and I you know like I remember talking about it a lot just about my experience but like didn't really have or find a community that worked for me and you know like I went to therapy and had my husband but like it it was hard mm-hmm. totally it is yeah and that was my whole thing it was like I felt desperate to connect to people and like you have your friends and your family but there's something about someone that's going through the exact same thing that you're going through that you just connect on like a deeper level, you know, or that they can mm-hmm. really understand it more. So yeah, that's. Now, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I have a couple questions. Sure. The just things that you had mentioned. So you yeah. mentioned that your, um, your in-laws and your parents both helped you mm-hmm. financially. They did. Now, I'm curious when you guys were going through all of this, what was their perspective? Like, were they super supportive of you wanting to expand your family? Were they kind of looking at you being like, why can't you just be thankful for what you have? Like, what was that like? Um, Thankfully, they were completely supportive. Um, I think they just, you know, they saw how, you know, I'm really close with all of my my in-laws and my parents. um, So, you know, I just told them everything that was going on and we would talk about it all the time. And, you know, they both were like, whatever you need, we're here for you. I think they understood. So, you know, it was, I felt fortunate in that regard because I have talked to people where the families didn't understand or, you know, it caused like some like, you know, drama in people's families. And, you know, like one person I talked to, like, didn't speak to her mom for several months, you know, and that must've been so hard. So, um, thankfully I didn't have that situation, but I know it is common and you know, I feel lucky that, that the support was there. Yeah. And then what about like your friends? Like had, had any of your friends experienced anything that you were going through? Were they, did, did you share with them what you were going through and how, what did that relationship look like? Yeah. As far as friends went, um, I definitely did share everything that was going on because I'm just one of those people that needs to talk about everything. That's how I work through my shit is like just talking about it. So there was no like secrecy about it. I mean, if anything, mm-hmm. I'm sure that they were like, okay, like you're talking about it too much, which was part mm-hmm. of the reason I wanted to find the tribe of people that were like in the infertility world, because mm-hmm. as much as they could be there for me, I, again, like, I think there's only so much you can kind of say or relate to if you haven't been in that situation. So they were wonderful, but it like I needed something else as like a supplement in my support. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and had your friends had any of your friends also experienced infertility? Um, I definitely had friends who from college, some of my Chicago friends who had had miscarriages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually learned after the fact that um, a couple friends had like 
done IVF or, you know, I have one of my best friends went on Clomid, but it, it never seemed like that was an infertility issue. Like she just, that was just part of her story. So not really. I mean, it was like more came out later where people were like, oh yeah, we did that. And I was like, you did? Right. You know, so even it's funny because even sometimes people that are close to you or people that you work with, you know, like right. you just don't know until like you come out and then they're like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And during this experience, were there any things like short of the, um, when you went out to your friend's husband's dinner, but like, did mm -hmm. you have moments where you were like, I, I can't hear about your positive pregnancy test or I can't go to your baby shower like what like what how did you kind of mm -hmm. do a little bit of self-preservation during because it was was it three years for you yeah it was between three and four um I didn't have anything really with like my close friends like I remember I did host a baby shower for one of my best friends who was a single mother by choice mm -hmm. um I didn't have any like animosity towards any of my friends that were getting pregnant at the time but I did, I remember feeling really pissed off when I would see strangers that were, and it seemed like, you know, you start to see pregnant people everywhere you look. Yes. Um, once you're in that laser focused, like grind, you're like, oh my God, how is she pregnant? And I remember like one time I saw this woman on the subway and she had like four kids already, was like not paying attention to them. They were like, one of them was crying, one of them. And I remember she like, I saw her like hit her son, like not like a crazy right. aggressively but like with the back of her hand like shut up and then she was pregnant and I was like are you kidding me she gets to have five kids like mm -hmm. what the hell like you just start to feel very like woe is me yeah. um you know oh and that was another thing I want to mention too actually is um going through therapy really helped me too is because I think when you go through infertility sometimes or for me at least you feel so like why is this happening to me like what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? And you start trying to figure out what you did. You know, I shouldn't have drank so much in college or I shouldn't have smoked cigarettes in high school, you know, stuff like that. Um, and you, I think that one thing that my therapist made me realize is like, she's like, Allie, you know, good things happen to bad people and bad mm -hmm. things happen to good people. It's just like the way that it is. And I was like, oh, Okay. Yeah. So I kind of like it. I mean, that's like a basic common truth, but it, I'd never really heard it said that way before. And I was like, oh, okay. So stop focusing on the like, poor me, why me? And just like realize it is what it is. And what can I do to like, fix this or get through it at least? Yeah, no, totally. Um, and at any point, did your husband go to therapy with you? And when did you kind of see your relationship, like get back on track? He didn't go to the infertility therapist with me, but we did go to some couple, a couple of couples therapy sessions after we had the kid okay. because I think there was some residual stuff that we had to deal with. There was some anger, you know, even once we had the baby, like it's not like that fixed everything. We had gone through kind of a traumatic experience together, mm -hmm. you know, so we still had things that we had to work out. And to be honest, like, We've been married, like I said, since 2003. Like, we're not perfect. We still have issues. You know, I, I think it's a constant work in progress. You know, like, we, we're good. We're on the other side of it. We're not going to split up. We love right. each other. But 
realistically, like marriage is hard and, you know, we're working on it. Some days it's wonderful. And some days we want to throw each other off the balcony and like, (laughs) you know, I think infertility like really changed. I don't think we'll ever fully recover from it, to be honest with you. And that's not to say that we're not going to be okay. It's just, it really did a number on us. Yeah. I mean, using the word traumatic experience is like just so perfectly defining of it because it it really is a trauma and like you do experience PTSD. I mean, even like if you take like, like all of that, like having four miscarriages is like one of those things that as I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but like um, weirdly doctors blow it off or nurses blow it off because it, it is common and like it is but like shh, like having a nurse say oh you are definitely having another miscarriage um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just like do you know what I'm left with like I have a gaping wound in yes. my heart and my chest and like and have that happen four times and and like there's there is like it's a it's a traumatic experience yes and um and I I, I find that uh the way that we're dealing with mom's emotional state after a miscarriage just feels um too too like brushed off like, yes. it's, just, it's like no. yeah I mean everyone's dealing with the physical side like do you need a dnc do you need what, what what are all these things that need to happen but like hey let's also set set you up with a therapist because like this sucks and you know what mm-hmm. you're gonna have to deal with it um you're 100% right you're yeah and I think that you know, what you're doing and what you're talking about and, you know, what I'm doing and so many other women in this community actually now are, I think we all recognize that and hopefully the tide is turning and, you know, it's, there's going to be more resources for women, you know, mentally. Um, Mental health is a big part of this too. You know, it all ties in together. So, yeah. And I, I, I think about the, like, after you have a miscarriage, like just, you know, like a pregnancy after pregnancy loss is like, if you don't have a strong mental foundation, then you're going to go into that pregnancy terrified. And I, you know, one of the questions I'll ask you is like, did Mm -hmm. you, like, like, what was that first trimester like for you? When did you breathe? And Mm -hmm. did you the entire pregnancy? Because that's also like, I mean, you had, like, you would have PTSD, you've had these experiences Mm -hmm. where you lost them, it'd be completely normal. If, yeah. if you had, you know, so yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a great question. And for me, it was, I never fully relaxed the entire pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. That's not to say there weren't moments of like bliss and happiness. Mm-hmm. And um, the one difference though, I will say was that I had never been pregnant with a healthy embryo since my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, the other ones kind of came and went quickly. And this one Maybe I was a little naive because it was my first round of IVF and it did work. So I felt better knowing that, you know, my doctor had done the transfer and he put it in the best place and mm-hmm. he made sure the timing was perfect. And, you know, I, f- I felt more confident than I did with the other pregnancies, but that's not to say that I ever fully relaxed. And honestly, Sometimes even now when I go to the bathroom, I'll be like, please don't be blood. And then I'm like, wait, I don't need to worry about that anymore. Like it's still there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I don't think you ever, ever fully recover from that. 
No. And I, you know, like we, one of the conversations that I want to have for this podcast series is, um, is with, um, I'm talking to an OB who, who's a previous OB and now she specializes in the sexual relationship after mm-hmm. things happen. Cause I think what we don't talk about enough is like you, you have a relationship with your husband, things are normal. Then you decide to start trying. Let's say that you're not so lucky and you don't get pregnant in the first three months. Mm-hmm. And, and like that journey is just anything longer than, I, I mean, even two months. Cause I feel like after two months of timed sex, you're just like, I don't, this is not fun. Like I, this has become just like a transaction. Totally. And, and then, and then you add, if you add on any sort of pregnancy loss, infertility, trying to, whatever it is, like you add on any of that, your sexual relationship like just changes. And mm-hmm. then you have, let's say you have a baby, like then, then your sexual relationship changes even more because you yeah. had a baby and let's say that you had a second degree tear and you've had, you have like, you have all these issues and, and then you think it's just normal to have painful sex. And so it's like, you could, you could be going on like two, three, four years of like just a weird sexual relationship with your husband. Yes. Or, and, and then you're expected like, and I mean, and also like your husband doesn't fully understand like the things that you are feeling inside because like, let's say you didn't go to therapy. Um, but like, mm-hmm. it's just, this is like just a, a train that has gotten off its track and, and like, how do you bring it back? And I think if people aren't prepared for that change, yes, then it's a, it's like eyes are definitely like closed. Wide yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I think another factor too, and I'm still trying to figure this out in my own you know, family and relationship is like when you want, when you have infertility and then you are able to have the baby, like then you have this baby that you had wanted so badly and it's, but people are like, but you should put your partner first, you know, and then, but you're like, but I can't because this baby like was the one thing. So like the baby comes first and then that really messes up the relationship. So I think that's something too that I would love to hear more about and learn more about and you know, I think that's the reality of it too, is like, you just, like you said, getting off track and the prior, the priorities and, you know, like the love affair sometimes is more with your kids than it is with your partner, especially after going through the trauma of having them, you know? Yes. So my last question for you is, do you, did you have any I'll call it PTSD with Sunny, like, mm-hmm. you know, like feeling like you you felt guilty about like not enjoying every minute or thinking parenting is hard or whatever, any sort, like having and placing any negativity on having a second kid or having like, because you were just like, I wanted this for four years. <laughs> it's such a good question. Yes. Um, definitely. I definitely have PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um I, there have been moments where he's being a total asshole and I'll be like, I can't stand. And then I have to check myself and be like, you paid $40,000 for this child. So suck it up, you know? Like, um, so yeah, I do have moments and thankfully like we, my husband and I joke about it. So that kind of takes some of the drama out of it and adds more levity to the situation. But like, yeah, truth be told, like kids are difficult and there are really low moments when you're just like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. And then you have that guilt, like you said, of like, but I wanted this and I paid for this, literally. And I asked for this and I prayed for this. And who am I to complain now that I have it, you know? 
Yes. So yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, I mean, I had, I do, I did have a thing where when he was a newborn and, you know, they're getting up a million times a night. <laughs> I told my husband, like, I will get up with him every single time he wakes up. You don't have to do it because I felt guilty that yeah. it was my f- kind of fault that we were in that situation again. And I also like, like selfishly, I think wanted to, wanted that because I had mm-hmm. wanted that for so long. So I was like, since I'm the one that wanted this so badly, I will be the one that wakes up with him every single time for the first year, literally. And you can sleep <laughs> because I felt like I couldn't put it with my daughter. It was like 50, 50, 100%. But with oh, wow. my son, you know, does that make sense? Like I just, yeah, I was like, I'll do it because I was the one that like fought for this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's funny how those things like come up. You're like, mm-hmm. it's like, wouldn't even know that that had anything to do with like almost like the guilt that you pushed yeah. this for, but like there is like just one example of how it re- like resonated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you uh, so much. Thanks for having me. I hope I answered everything. No, you did. It, I, I feel like I didn't have to ask all the questions I wanted to ask because yeah, just, I looked through the list. I feel like we. Co- <laughs> I feel like we touched on everything. But if there's anything else that you want me to add and. Let me know. No, it was it was incredible. I I had um put out a survey on um my stories on on Friday, and actually like so many people wanted to talk about pregnancy after loss and secondary oh. infertility. So this is just going to be so perfect. Oh, for good audience. So thank you for awesome sharing. And uh, why don't you just tell everybody where they can find you? Okay, so um the podcast is. And you know, on Apple, Spotify, all the places you can find a podcast, it's called Infertile AF. And um, my Instagram is at Infertile AF Stories. So it's um, yeah, at Infertile AF Stories. And then if anybody wants to reach out to me, they're welcome to email me if people just want to talk. Or I don't really give advice, but I'm definitely a shoulder because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But I'm definitely can be a shoulder if you want to tell me your story and you need some feedback or something. They can email me at infertilefstories at gmail. Um, cool. Yeah, so that's it. But yeah, if people would listen to the podcast, that would be great. Yes, well, we're thank almost you. Hitting, we're about to hit a hundred thousand downloads. Wow, which is great, that's incredible. It goes to show how far your message is getting. So it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I just see that as like a hundred thousand chances to help someone. So that's that's great. Exactly. Well, thank you, yeah. Allie. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's all for today. If you found this episode helpful, please, please, please share it with your mama friends and write a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Juno Women podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening now. If you're pregnant or postpartum, you can download the Juno app for tailored follow-along workouts and nutrition advice just for this period of your life. The app is available in the iOS app store. If you're looking to connect with other Juno moms, check out the Juno Moms Facebook group. Lastly, if you know someone who you think would be a fantastic guest on the show, please let us know on Twitter at Juna underscore app or email me directly at sarah at juna.co. See you next week.